As everyone knows, the market is really hot right now. So if you're looking to buy your dream home or sell one, well, I recommend you reach out to my good friend and member of TFK, Molly McKinney, co-owner of Remax of Cherry Creek. Molly has been a realtor for well over a decade. She's a consistent top producer and she prides herself on integrity over sales. If you know anything about Molly, you know she has a ton of energy. She's 100% professional. As an added bonus, Molly has a degree in interior design, which really comes in handy when you're buying and selling, if you know what I mean. Check out rmcherrycreek.com or contact Molly at 303-809-0134. Let me introduce, uh, and I will not do you justice, so I want you to fill in the blanks, okay? <laughs> a lot of blanks. I got, yeah, I got, I got, I got paid 31 years to, to not speak, so this is a whole different <laughs> world here for me. Nobody knew Rocky spoke. Yeah. What yeah. a voice. <laughs> I know. So this is a big learning curve for me, but I uh, appreciate you being here. This is, this is my gym. This is our studio. Beautiful. I love your gym. Thank you. I was at a dojo on uh, East Colfax for a number of years. Yeah? Wasn't anything close to this. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Cockroaches were running in fear. <laughs> <laughs> Not from me, from the black belts. Oh, good. Well, so uh, G, Rich, the G-Man, Goins. We have been, we've been friends for, gosh, 30 years. Oh, 30, yeah, yeah, at least 30, I mean, 35. Yeah. I met and, you when you first started being Rocky. Yeah. But I met it, you before that. Uh, you did not meet me before that because I wasn't here before that. Oh, I thought you were yeah, no, I actually, in Denver before you got the Rocky gig. No, I came here for the job Oh, right out of college, oh. quit school. Nice. I got the, got this job and my dad was like, yeah, go man. Oh yeah. He was, he was a real stickler on education. I'm like, dad, I got this job. What do you, should I, <laughs> should I take it or not? He's like, pay me 10 times what I was going to make <laughs> anywhere else. being an accountant. Do you know, I went to school for, uh, communications. Oh, you did? Yes. Oh, well, so glad this other hey, gig worked out. Hit the jackpot. I would have been terrible at it, but you've been a master at it. And, and if there was a, if there was a, uh, Mount Rushmore, of Denver, your face would be on this. Oh, thank, that's really nice of you to say. <laughs> that's how much you, know, you have impacted this community. Oh, thanks. And uh, and and have everybody knows run. everybody knows G, and, and and Dave here. Dave is my uh, business partner, one of my business partners. Introduce yourself, Dave. Introduce your yep. introduce your place. So yeah, uh, live here in Memphis, Tennessee. Lived here all my life for the most part. Um, I own uh, Memphis Judo and Jiu-Jitsu. It's a martial arts gym, mixed martial arts. Yeah. Um, we do all the typical mixed martial arts things here, Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, wrestling, Judo, boxing. Um, we also have fitness kickboxing here. And uh, then I have uh, ownership and some fitness kickboxing gyms, such as uh, Ken's here and then uh, a couple in Memphis and some other ones around the country. Oh, it's a good gig, man. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So I did some Muay Thai. That's how I kind of got into the the ring announcing for for the martial arts stuff and so i did like two years i was telling you that uh yeah. dojo out on east colfax i mean it was about the size of where we're broadcasting from i mean it was literally <laughs> one heavy bag and a you know a, a ring that was about eight by eight so you couldn't get away from anybody uh when you had to jump in there and try and you know elevate your belt status but uh yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of how I got – I mean, I was doing some ring announcing for boxing and stuff, but that's how I got into the MMA 
announcing was a, a thing called Core Super Fights. There was a lady named Karen Turner who was way ahead of her time. Um, she just loved martial arts. And so she had mostly, you know, it was karate, jujitsu, and kind of Muay Thai combination events down at the Mammoth Event Center, which is now the Fillmore yeah. on Colfax. And she was doing those for a couple of years. So she knew I did some ring announcing for boxing. She saw one of my events and she said, hey, would you do the core yeah. super fight? So I did those for two years before I got the call to do the UFC. And it was just totally out of nowhere. Had never even heard of, nobody had. Nobody had, yeah. Um, nobody even heard about like organized worldwide martial arts events. It was, you know, I mean, you had boxing was the king. Nobody was in, I mean, people were into martial arts, but it wasn't this worldwide phenomenon. So, you know, that's kind of how I got involved. Well, speaking of that, when I, when I told, getting to know Dave, I learned that he was he, he, all over the world with fighting and training and, you know, his background is just phenomenal. But when I told him that I knew you, he was like, wait, what? Oh, my gosh. I know everything about this guy. And I know, I mean, I know all the beginning. When I told him that oh, I was at that first fight. Do you know any of my ex-girlfriends? Hopefully not. <laughs> do I own money? I don't know. Dave? I don't know quite everything. I don't, yeah, I don't think I have any ex-girlfriends in Memphis, but it's a possibility. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. If they do call you, Dave, tell them I'm not around. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> don't know who you are. No, he's living under a bridge <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, well, it's just been an amazing process getting to this point right here because Dave, when he first found when he found out I was at that first fight, yeah, he was like, "Wait!" and he threw out all the statistics and who was there and everything. Right. And then when recently when I told him that you were coming on here, he's like, "Oh my gosh, I would love to talk to this guy because Dave just geeked out on this so deeply." You were telling me that you used to get like pirated. VHS tapes or something. Is that right? Look, I was uh, completely nuts about the sport of mixed martial. Back then, it was no holds barred. Right. If it was anything go. Mixed martial arts wasn't even a term back then. Right. But when I first saw the uh, when I first saw the U.S. my first UFC that I ever saw, the first one I ever saw on pay per view was uh, was UFC four actually, where Hoist fought Severn. Yeah. You know, in the finals, and right. uh, I think you were the ring announcer at that one. I yeah, I, I did the first um, 11 of them, and right, then, and then right. Bruce Buffer got the gig. Bastard. Yeah, Stole yeah. about a couple hundred grand out of my pocket. But, hey, he's a good-looking guy. <laughs> I have a face for radio. <laughs> so, you know, they had to get somebody hey, in there that was more presentable on camera. You did a better job, though, in my opinion. That's my humble opinion. Oh, you did a better job. Well, thank yeah. you. So, so you just saw the videos like – you know, the yeah, old so, black and white videos, but you never saw a live event well, until you bought a pay-per-view? Well, you know, UFC 4 was the first uh, live event that I saw uh, on pay-per-view, right? Right. Buddy of mine invited me over. Uh, I won't go into all that, but uh, I was just enthralled. The first time I saw it, I was like, this is unbelievable. You know, because I was a boxing fan. I loved boxing as a teenager, right. and uh, I thought the toughest man in the world was the heavyweight boxing champion. I had no idea this stuff even existed. Right. Right. Turned my world upside down. So I just kind of got just completely just enamored with what was happening. And I remember the first UFC that came out at Blockbuster was maybe three or four months after I saw the UFC four live event. 
um, on pay-per-view, and it was uh, UFC UFC 2 was the first VHS they came out with before right. UFC 1 even came out. And um, then I would, of course, watch these ad nauseum. Like, I probably had so many blockbuster late fees from not bringing these videotapes back. I just was into it, you know, and I loved it. And uh, then I started getting into Japanese MMA and getting a lot of these tapes from Japan and so like that. Anyway, long story short, uh, I've always been really enamored with the old school MMA scene and like what was going on. And one thing I said to Ken, when he said you were going to be on, I said, man, I've got so many questions. Maybe he has some insight on some of these things. I would just love to, I don't know, pick your brain a little bit about some of the old days in the UFC. Cause sure. uh, that was a very special time. That was a special time that'll never be replicated again. Never, not just in mixed martial arts, but in sports period. Right. I mean, this revolutionized fighting as we know it and ring sports as we know it. Um, so a really special time back then. And, uh, like I say, I was completely enamored. And so we could, I mean, we could talk about UFC one. Um, if that you guys want to kind of go into that, cause it's, it's a pretty amazing story. Yeah. I was working with a, a couple of guys, Dave, that, uh, called Lewis and Floorwax. They were, you know, like the morning show in Denver, um, funny, always got great ratings. And I was a sports guy on their show for 20 years. But what happened was uh, Barry Fay, who's the legendary concert promoter, kind of like along the lines of Bill Graham, uh, Barry Fay was the first guy to kind of, uh, capitalize on Red Rocks, the amphitheater up there, and yeah, start having concerts yeah. up there. And, you know, he brought in Led Zeppelin, and he brought in the Beatles, and he brought in U2, and, I mean, all the bands. When they were just kind of up and – they were up-and-coming bands. He brought Zeppelin into Folsom Field up in Boulder, a uh, bunch of Red Rock shows. So he called me and said, hey, um, he's buddies with Zane Bresloff. Zane Bresloff was legendary guy who started – um, World Wrestling, the World Wrestling Federation. All these guys were in Denver. Zane Bresloff was the mastermind behind the big giant stadium, you know, wrestling, world wrestling. And those two guys partnered up when they heard this guy, Art Davey, was in cahoots with uh, Hoist Gracie's dad, Rory and Gracie. Rory and Gracie approached Art Davey, who was in New York, and said, I've got an idea to do this ultimate fighting championship thing. We'll bring in a bunch of uh, guys, fighters from around the world that are martial arts guys. Not mixed martial arts like Dave said, because nobody ever heard that term. But they were, you know, we had this guy, we had this guy, we had this guy. But Barry Fay called me and said, hey, uh, this guy, Art Davey, wants to hire Lewis and Floorwax. So I called him up representing Lewis and Floorwax. He wanted them to be the ring announcers because they, they wanted – uh, the morning show to talk about it. Hey, it's at McNichols Arena. It's something new. We want to sell tickets. And their personalities would have just complemented this oh, tremendously. Kind of absolutely. I mean, it, was just a, it was just a great fit. The problem was they wanted like $2,000 each to do this. So when I called him back and said, hey, they want 4000 between them, you know, Art Davies said, no, I don't have that kind of budget. And he goes, do you know any ring announcers in Denver? And I go, yeah, me. And he goes, as a matter of fact, (laughs) yeah, how much would you do it for? And I said, "Uh, I'll do it for a grand. And he goes, you're hired. He goes, do you got any tape or anything? I said, no, man, I've done the core super fights. And so all of a sudden, I'm the ring announcer for the first UFC. Just for a thousand bucks. Yeah, just sheer luck. 
Well, man. back then, a thousand bucks was like, hey, man, I can pay like four months of rent. <laughs> I'm living in a shack over here in Lakewood. <laughs> and uh, hey, I'm going to pay my rent for four months. This is this is great. So that's kind of how I got involved with the with the whole UFC one. And I knew they had McNichols Arena secured because Barry Faye told me and Zane Bresloff where they were the marketing guys kind of behind the scenes in Denver. But, you know, it was about you know, a month or two later is when all of a sudden the whole caravan came to town. And that's when I got introduced to Art Davey, Rory and Gracie. Uh, I can't remember uh, Gracie's grandfather. He was there. Um, and then, you know, all the fighters came in and I got, you know, it was literally a week before that I got to meet all those guys. They're like, hey, you got to meet the fighters. You got to go down to the hotels, get some bios on them, get some stats on them, watch them work out, you know, you know, just take notes, and, and that's what we want you to do to introduce them. So, I, you know, I spent three, four hours down there for two or three days in a row just meeting the fighters. But it was all kind of on the QT. There wasn't any buzz yet, you know. Well, and in my opinion, when I first was – when I first heard about this and when I was going to buy tickets and – Actually, I didn't buy tickets. I just got in there. Uh, I had <laughs> you're, already, you're, I had work, you're already working <laughs> yeah. for Charlie Lyons. Yeah, I was working. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just thought, oh, my gosh, we're going to see some stuff that's, I don't know, uh, uh, not seen. Uh, is this legal? I, that, was, there, that was actually a question in my mind. Like, wow, we're going to see. Well, it was, a, it was that, a question in a lot of people's minds because. The, the way it was set up, the reason they came to Denver, there's no boxing commission. So they didn't have to have any okay from any sanctioning body. They had to make sure they had the ringside doctors. They had to make sure they had uh, guys sign their waivers and their release forms. But because there wasn't any boxing commission in the state of Colorado at the time, you could have martial arts like Karen Turner did with the core super fights and have an event and sell tickets and nobody had to sanction it. So that was the big drawing card for Denver. A, they had a big arena because these guys from, you know, Art Davey from New York, he was already involved in a bunch of other, you know, big events, concerts and, and boxing. So what happened was they didn't have to have anybody okay this. Now, there was a lot of blowback. Uh, when when all of a sudden the newspapers find out about it, and so, first of all they didn't know what it was, so they didn't know if they were going to have, you know, guys who had competed in martial arts for a number of years that were professionals. They didn't know if they were going to have guys in there that were just like throwdown bar fighters, bare knuckle. Um, so there was a lot of blowback on that end, but but then all of a sudden you have the event, and for the most part, the guys were professional fighters had competed on any number of levels for any number of years um, in their particular uh, discipline to compete against guys from other disciplines and but there was a good question there was a lot of there were a lot of people that were protesting hey it's going to be bare knuckle eye gouging kicking people in the groin biting you know it was it was a throwdown for the way a lot of people described it as just mayhem and no rules, you know, because that's how they build it. No rules, no time limits, no gloves, no tape. I mean, it was just two, man against man, 
mano a mano in the, in the octagon, uh, and that's the way it was billed. And I think they sold probably, I think they sold 7,500 tickets here, Dave. And, and the reason that they sold it that many tickets was because I think people really were going to go there thinking somebody's going to get whacked. That's what it, I thought. It was a, it's going to be a bloodbath. People are like, oh, it's like watching the car wreck when you're on I-25. You're like, oh, somebody got whacked there. Well, let's slow down and see. Uh-huh. That's Everybody's why, yeah, yeah, that's why they bought the tickets originally. Wow. Well, that, that was, t- man, that was really interesting to hear um, kind of what the thoughts were in the Denver area leading up to the show. Because I know that, uh, of course, I've read a lot uh, in seen interviews with Art Davey and of course Horion Gracie. I, I know Horion. And uh, so I've heard a lot of the different stories, things like that. But uh, it's interesting that, uh, you know, you got a chance to go to the hotel and like talk to a lot of these guys, and get their bios and stuff. So my, what I wonder is, you know, how did these guys seem when you were talking? Because you know, nobody knew exactly what was going to happen. Did they seem um, scared? Did they seem excited? Did they seem like nervous? I mean, what was their frame of mind when you talk to these guys prior to the event yeah good good question i i'll tell you that you having you know listen my my limited experience as a uh muay thai guy um you know i'd been around guys who were professional basically professional martial arts guys guys that did that for not a lot of money back in the day so i saw guys uh work out and work their craft and how they worked you know how they discipline themselves and all the things they went through just like your people here do mm-hmm. you know they want to get in shape they want to you know be able to protect themselves at some point if, if they get uh, you know ransacked but going in there I didn't have any kind of preconceived thoughts about guys but as soon as I got in there like I could tell Ken Shamrock was the real deal yeah. like I knew that guy didn't had yeah. never seen a video of him kind of knew his name and when I saw the way he worked out and you know how he his discipline of you know Japanese shoot fighting and but he was kind of he was working on his boxing techniques when I saw him but he was also you know had three or four guys he was sparring with that were shoot fighters as well you know and so when I talked to him I said so you know what's your goal for this particular matchup and he said, look, I'm a, I'm a ground guy. If I can get a guy down, ground and pound, that's my advantage. But I also have to be able to have some boxing skills to keep the guy off me to start with. I don't want to be paired up with a, another wrestler, shoot fighter, a guy who's great at ground technique, and, and have him get me down. So he was worried about that. That's why he was doing his boxing. And like Gordeaux, was just a massive man for a fighter. The guy hey, was, that guy's an animal. Oh, that guy's an animal. Yeah, and then yeah. I found out, you know, he he was the Dutch national champion for eight years, and yes. uh, he was he that guy was all. I mean, he was lean, but he was all a six five and you know probably two twenty five, two thirty, um, in great shape. So he was sparring with three or four, they kept throwing guys in at him. Like he'd do two minutes with a guy and then he'd do another two minutes with another guy. And then he'd do two minutes with another fresh guy. Um, and I mean, his technique was amazing, but he was just physically intimidating. You know, like I'm interviewing him like this, you know, you know, I'm, I'm all of maybe five, eight. And this guy just towered over me. I thought, okay, 
this guy's got a really good chance to win this thing. And then you had some of the other guys like uh, uh, Thule, who was yeah. the sumo wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, I, I want to say he fought Gordo in the first, first round. ever fight. The, the infamous tooth. Yeah. So yeah. when I introduced him, Thule came in. He was about 400 pounds. He, this guy was not in shape. <laughs> maybe he was. Maybe he had, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe he, he had. He was in sumo shape. He was in sumo yeah. shape. Yeah. He, was, yeah. he was a big guy. I mean, but just like a block of kind of, he wasn't really muscular. He was just heavy. And when I saw Gordeaux walk in after Thule got in the ring, I was like, this is going to be over in about 10 seconds. Because that Thule's going to walk in. He's going to probably try and get him down on the ground. And all Gordeaux has to do is just kick him one time somewhere near his head. And he's going to go down. So that was kind of my thinking. And it actually happened. Thule tried to rush him. I remember missed him. Fell down against the you know, the octagon was chain link fence. I remember that. and pads, and he tried to get up and he turned and boom, Gurdo just whacked him with a massive right foot, and all and I was sitting where the tooth landed. It went over the fence and landed. I was looking over there. I was like, "Is that his tooth?" <laughs> and then there was, and then there's just blood, wow. blood everywhere. You know, the I referee comes in and. You know, he's asking their corner, you know, hey, is he okay? Is he okay? And, I, you know, the guy's trainer's looking at him. Nah, he's not okay. And then they stop that fight. So, I mean, that was over 26 seconds. And actually, I want to say the crowd kind of booed. Well, we were all expecting more. Competition, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, not knowing what we were even watching, really. Right. I remember sitting there and just – I remember when they walked into the ring and it was just like, what? We were all just on the edge of our seats. Like, this is going to be, this is going to be war right here. This is going to be a, you know, but the one guy, the one guy I thought that would do really well that didn't was Patrick Smith. I don't know if you remember him, Dave. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So he was in the course. Yeah, yeah. He was in the course super fights. So I knew him oh. and there was one of the course super fights. I want to say he went after somebody in the crowd after the fight. Somebody was taunting him, and I'm like, well, that's not the guy you want to taunt, man. He was a he was a badass. He was older than the other guys. Um, he was in maybe his early 30s. He had been fighting for a long time in Denver. I knew who he was, and I knew that he had a lot of skill. But he was yeah. he was he was a little bit older. But you know we, you know he was a he was a true um, you know karate guy, karate. And he was also a really good boxer. So he, he was, to me, like the mixed martial arts guy, if that was the name for a guy, because um, he had good ground skills. Um, not great, but he also could keep guys at bay. I mean, he'd, he'd throw his jabs out there and keep guys at a distance and not allow them to get inside. So I thought when I watched him spar, and he was, he was working on his wrestling techniques and his boxing techniques and and kickboxing at the same time, I thought, okay, this guy's, I've seen him before. He's, I don't know who he's going to be paired against, but I thought he had a really kind of solid shot at, you know, taking home the 50 grand. And at the time, I mean, 50 grand was like unfathomable for, yeah. for a payday. 
huge. That was huge. Huge in that day. Yeah. I mean, for anything. I mean, boxers but, 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 were but, getting millions, but to to have a one-time you know prize package of fifty thousand dollar winner take all that was. I thought, okay, we're going to get some really really good um, martial arts guys in this thing. Do you know how they paired them up back then? Do I know? Yeah. Do you, how did they pair them up? Or did it was it just a you know throw them into a hat? You know that's interesting. They never told me. Hmm. I just you know they here, here's I know this for a fact because I did talk to Art Davy. Art Davy sent out um, a promo packet to all the top martial arts guys in the world. Every one of them got a packet about what they wanted to do with this and their vision. They didn't get calls from anybody. They only had 10 guys that responded. They wanted to originally have 16 guys yeah. and do the, you know, just like the Final Four or any other tournament, you know, 16 down to eight, down to four, down to two, down to one. Uh, but they only were able to get, they got 10 guys and two of them didn't pass their physicals. And so they had eight guys. Rich, let me ask you a quick question, if I could. Um, did you, I know that um, I uh, sent an interview with Horion and Art Davey, and uh, they said the only thing that they had to show people um, prior to this were like old fights from Brazil or like, you know, the Gracie in action. There's a Gracie in action tape that Horion had put together that showed a lot of the uh, no holds barred fighting from Brazil or, you know, from right. his academy there in Torrance, California. That that was the, did you get a chance to see any of that prior to the event to understand kind of what you were about, you know, to 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 see? Did you had you had you seen anything like that at all? I hadn't seen anything till I went in Gracie's. Uh, you know, they you know it was funny. The workout rooms were ballrooms at a hotel, so you know if you've got a giant ballroom, they just had all the doors sectioned off. So I just went from one to the next to the next to the next, and then there was another floor that had another four rooms. Um, like I said, I mean, the rooms were about half the size of your, your gym here, Kenny, but, um, they had videos running on a television screen, the Gracie's, and they were always kind of walking over there and, you know, and they were pointing and they were, you know, they were talking a language that I didn't understand, but, um, they were pointing at things on the video, different techniques and, and showing, you know, hoist, Hey, here's you know, like this, they were pointing this, where this guy moved and that. That's the first time I ever saw any of the videos. But I saw it in action, like when they were when they were working out. They had at least six to eight um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys in the room that were constantly going on the mat mm. with Hoyce and, and watching him work out. And I, it, was, it was really impressive to watch because I hadn't really – I'd seen a few – jiu-jitsu guys but not at that level i mean these guys were really good and really talented and it was yeah. interesting to watch that that particular discipline wow so you did you you announced and you traveled with them for the next oh what nine after, well they after did, the one here in denver but then they also did the second one was in denver that's right at and, the mammoth yeah and it's funny because they went from see i think what happened was because mcnichols arena sat sixteen thousand, seventeen thousand people it was half full so zane being the wrestlemania guy and barry being the concert guy were smart enough to take everybody from the top levels and bring them all down to the first level 
right at, at McNichols Arena to make it. Now, if you watch the video, it looks like, oh, this is sold out, man. There's a million people here, and they had all the seats filled around the octagon, but it really wasn't. I mean, there. I mean, most of the seats in the upper level level were empty. Yeah, it was pretty dead. Maybe up there, at least half the seats in the suite level is what they called it, kind of. But it was real small. The the suite level then at McNichols, and I would say most of the lower level. But uh, I did travel, so the second one was that they they said, hey, we're, let's make this smaller and make it look like, oh, people are just hanging from the rafters. Right. So that's when they went to Mammoth, where the core super fights were. And that was real comfortable for me, although it was it was an armpit. I mean, this <laughs> this place was, I mean, I'm not kidding you. It was in a on East Colfax, crappy mm-hmm. section Capitol Hill. This is old Capitol Hill, where you know there were a lot of winos and you know yep. you know homeless people, and you know you feel sorry for the neighborhood. But I mean, this isn't a place where you know you show up in a coat and tie and walk in and get out of still your Mercedes chill. and go. Yeah, it's still kind of rough. <laughs> yeah, it's still kind of a rough area, but it's it's definitely a lot better than it was. But this building was just a crap hole. Yeah, I mean it was stinky and dirty and they had dingy yeah they had two dressing rooms downstairs that was it most of it was like i remember old boxes sitting downstairs like they were selling merchandise and stuff um and then and the actual arena the event center was nothing it was a a, there was an area up top that's still there if you walk into the fillmore there's an upper level because it's all concrete they renovated it but um it was just like an, a level about 10 feet above where they had the ring and they put folding chairs up there and then they put folding chairs all around the ring and a few of those stands like you'd see at a high school football game you know the metal stands mm-hmm. they like brought those in and they made it look like oh there's 10,000 people in there well that place only holds 1500 so they sold out quick wow but it, they made it look on television, if you watch the video, like, oh, my God. Like it was larger than life. Huge. But they, they didn't care because they were just going for the pay-per-view. So UFC 1, apparently, from what I've read, sold about 90,000, 90,000 pay-per-views, which was unheard of. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's... At, yeah 1999, I think it was, and they sold eighty or 90,000. So their purse on that broadcast, that pay-per-view, was over a million and a half dollars. And that's when Art Davey and, and Horian knew, okay, we could put this in the back of we got Ken Solomon's yard and we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna sell 125,000 pay-per-views. And that's what they did. So then they took it on the road. And I went to, I, listen, it's been a while since I've thought about this, but I, I, they did one in Detroit, because I know because my brother and sister came my sister laughed she was like you know she (laughs) she hated when me and my brother fought in the living room let alone some guy kicking somebody's teeth out um (laughs) but we went to puerto rico that was great oh Oh, man i I stayed at the the sand i heard that i heard that stadium was was i heard that stadium and those fans were nuts oh rabid yeah oh man puerto rico was as crazy an atmosphere as I've ever seen, ever. And Puerto were, Rico itself is a little bit. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the Puerto, Puerto Rican population was crazy about 
the UFC and mixed martial arts. These guys, when they went out, like I remember going out with, uh, what did I go out with? I can't remember. But we went into one of the bars in there, and it was just like Muhammad Ali had walked into the bar. I mean, the whole place just stopped. And everywhere we went, man, they were comping our food and comping our drinks. And we stayed at, you know, for the first time, really. I mean, I was staying in crap holes because, you know, they're putting us up in these $30 a night rooms when I went on the road to start with. I'm like, hey, you guys are making millions of dollars here. At least I could do is get a bathroom in my room kind of thing. <laughs> and, why am uh, I sharing a room? You know, why, why am I going out Rough. to the outhouse? Um, and the, the whatever that stadium was, it wasn't very big. Um, I mean, it felt like the people were sitting right on top of you because these stands just went straight up. It was almost like, you know, like a uh, a bull riding kind of arena where, you know, they have people just looking straight down on you so they get all the action. And uh, it was, man, they, those Live fans were just rabid. Crazy. Yeah. Rabid. Well, with, with an atmosphere like that, the tension in there must have been. Oh, yeah. And, it, and stress and and. and and the excitement. Oh, my gosh. Oh, inc- just incredible. And the, the way they did the, I mean, it was, it was they, the Semaphore Entertainment was the group that Art, I want to say Art Davey owned. Bob Marowitz. Yeah, Bob Marowitz. That's it. Yep, yep. They did, <laughs> this guy's great. I know. <laughs> Filling in all the uh, dead spots in my brain. Um, way to go, Dave. Uh, the, uh, the, the way they did it on television was better than boxing because they had lights and they had smoke, you know, the, the smoke fake, machines, you know, the yeah, stuff. the fog machines. And they had, um, you know, what, you know, boxing, you know, you came in with your, your, with your entourage and, you know, they always show the fighter and so, and it was, you know, they had their own music and stuff. These guys had the, the lights and the fog machines and the music. And- it was a cross between WWF. Yes. And boxing. Yeah. And and I'll tell you where that started was, to me, at least in Denver, was Zane Bresloff. And Zane's no longer on the planet. He was one of my favorite people. Passed away a number of years ago. And I actually did one of his uh, world wrestling events here in Denver. He had the, you know, this first one was at the Silverdome. But his thing, I remember him saying, man, we got to, he kept telling Art and uh, Bob, you got to make this look like it's the greatest event ever. Like you got to have the the girls, the ring girls, and you got to have the smoke, and you got to have the lights, and you got to have the sound, and it's got to be, Rocking. it's got to draw people in. Like people on TV, like when we do the uh, World Wrestling Federation, man, those guys are gods. You got to make these guys gods, and that was his thing. I mean, the way he explained it, and they did it, man. They took it like to a different level well it's entertainment yeah bottom line yeah get down to it better yeah. the entertainment are you not entertained <laughs> are we not entertained <laughs> gladiator <laughs> um but yeah there were, i mean i went to a, a lot of great places but one of the things i remember uh, i want to say it was puerto rico was um tank abbott remember him he, he was there in the audience and he was, he kept coming down to the octagon, you know, like kind of like Clubber Lang did in the Rocky movie saying, I got you, I own you. 
you're dead meat. You're you're nothing. I can I'm the I'm the number one ranked contender, and you need to you know show me the money and give me a shot. And you know, and Burgess Meredith's like, ah, you don't want any part of that guy. Tank Abbott was tooting his own horn. He was saying to all the guys that were on the fight card, I'll kick your ass. I'm better than you. I'm, and, and finally, security had to take him and his girlfriend out. Wow. Yeah. Oh, he was. That's she, a good story. That's a good yeah. story there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was like he personally bought a ticket, went down there to make sure that he got on camera. And, people, and he was an intimidating-looking guy as well. He had that big black goatee. And yeah. he was. He was a big, big dude. Like he was strong. You could tell he was he was a, a fighter in some capacity. I didn't know what he was, but I was like, I don't want to mess with that guy. <laughs> Where's security? <laughs> don't kill the G man. I'm just uh, I'm just the messenger here. I'm just introducing guys. I'm the guy on the mic. Yeah. Don't kill the guy in the mic. <laughs> this is really funny because I I didn't run into you, but. I remember running into uh, a couple of the Denver Nuggets were just there working out um, and in the arena. Yep. And they're like, because I, I, you know, I covered right. the team, and they're like, what's going on, G-Man? And I'm like, uh, well, it's this uh, ultimate fighting, martial arts. And they're like, oh, great. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good to see you. You know, they <laughs> they didn't care. Yeah. But but to just to, it's funny to see the, the interactions of people and how many people people were there um that you know i mean you talk to eight hundred thousand people they're going to say they were there oh i was at the first ufc but yeah. now there were seventy five hundred people there yeah i way more people saw it on tv was and yeah. i was like wait that's chain link aren't they gonna get like they could get caught in that i remember thinking fingers are gonna get chopped off in that. yeah you know we're gonna get oh it was you know they actually had that set up pretty well it was padded and the chain link was powder coated black um, it was pretty sturdy. I watched him set the ring up. That was one of the things I wanted to see was, you know, what's this going to look like? The octagon, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but they had it set up really well. Gee, I want to go back a little bit in your history. And first I, I want to sh- tell how we met. Cause I remember it was, uh, Lewis and Floorway. I was in the shower one day. And were we in there with you? No, <laughs> you were on the radio. I'm <laughs> thank God, to you guys. Thank God they didn't make me go in there and hey, <laughs> meet this guy. See if Rocky's really a guy. <laughs> <laughs> that was always Could be a woman question. in there. <laughs> pretty, pretty nimble for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll go into that later. So I was in the shower listening to you guys one day, one morning, and you guys were talking about. The Indy 500. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was coming, our, yeah, yeah. Which was coming to town, yeah. and you said, uh, I don't know who, you know, who well, was idea that weekend? Was. It was that weekend. Yeah, okay, I remember. Yeah. So leading up to that, you guys wanted to do the Undy, yeah, 500, and here I was, young twenties, and yeah, yeah. I yeah. Uh, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down there. I'm gonna enter this. <laughs> I jumped out of the shower, <laughs> ran down, <laughs> ran down there. Walked in, I'm like, hey, I'm here for this, and uh, great, great, come grab a number or whatever. There was like seven or ten of us or something that were going to race. You guys wanted us to race around the block yeah, in our oh, underwear. In, in Cheeseman Park. Yeah. So, so, Dave, I don't know if you know the – so the history of, of – uh, so we, we, it was the Indy 500 weekend on that Friday, 
And uh, so we came up with this idea. Um, everybody just would throw ideas and like, so I think Floorwax said, hey, let's do the Undy 500 and make people run like 500 yards in their underwear. And, and so Cheeseman Park in Denver is, uh, how do you describe it? It's, uh, well. Right downtown. Yeah. And but anyway, there's all these tall buildings around the park. Yep. And Floorwax thought it would be funny for people to see guys running around in their underwear. Or girls. We had a couple of girls in there, too. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, anyway, just, hey, if you want to come down, uh, I think we're, would they pay you, 500 bucks? You win the Undy 500. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, no, it was, Maybe like, it was like 100 bucks or something. 100 bucks and all the yeah. beer you can drink. Right. Yeah, that's and, kind uh, of how we did things back in the I old days of radio. I came in second, here's a so case I got of, a seat. Here's a case of Coors Light. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, so, you know, seven, eight, ten people showed up, and Ken was one of them. And, uh, and you won, man. You were fast. No, no, I thought I that. I thought you, oh, you got, I think, no, I thought I think, you won. I thought I yeah, I think yeah. I took. Second. I think you got tripped at the goal at the That's finish line. Yeah. Anyway, but we had one girl. She came down in her panties and bra. We're like, she's the winner. We don't even have to run this thing. <laughs> <laughs> What's your phone number, honey? Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that, I mean, that's the kind of crazy stunts our morning show would do. We we did tons of stunts. So yeah. fun, so fun. I was so hooked on that um, morning show. And then uh, the other thing that you're another thing added to the list of things that you're famous for the billboard oh yeah oh man national. you ever see that video dave i've known about that for years that was oh. national news yeah. yeah that was national news yeah yeah and that so. that came about as a bat between um the uh radio station in san diego and our station with uh that week the Broncos were kind of in, in a tailspin. Now, they had gone to the Super Bowl in 89. So, in 90, everybody thought, oh, they're going to the Super Bowl again. I mean, you got great defense. You got John Elway. You're loaded. Um, but they started out really slow. They started losing games. And then um, we made a bet with the San Diego radio station, hey, if, if we lose, the Broncos, then I'm going to do my sports from on top of one of our billboards. We had these new billboards around town promoting – the Fox is where I worked back then. And then there was a guy in San Diego, a, a white guy with a huge fro. I mean, the biggest fro I've ever seen. And if he, if the Chargers lost, he was going to shave his fro. And so, of course, the Broncos lose. So I went up on the billboard. And then, like a couple of – the Rocky Mountain News covered it and the Denver Post covered it. And some television station came out and said, oh, this is pretty cool. You're doing your sports up there. So then my boss at the time, Jack Evans, said, hey, man, what do you think about living on that board until they win? And I was like, yeah, man, it's, God, it's How would that 30 happen? feet up. There's two, two pieces of wood that run, you know, 30 feet long. I'm like, well, you want me to just sit up there until Sunday? And he's like, yeah, let's just, we'll get you a chair. You can sit up there. We'll, we'll ask the sign company. You know, we already got the waivers, uh, you know. So I had, I had to wear this belt. It was like a, it was actually like a, you know, pants belt, a little thicker, but it had a tether on it. There was a rope with a clip, and there was this wire that ran along the length of the billboard, and I, they made me clip that in, in case I fell off, you yeah. know, so I wouldn't, you know, fall all the way. I'd just be hanging there till somebody came and <laughs> rescued me, because you know the rope was like ten feet long, and but thirty feet up, so if I fell off, I'd be, you know, dangling around, <laughs> but. They brought me a chair, 
and they and then I had a what else do I have? I brought a golf club because I was into golf, so I could practice my golf swing. You know, you ever practice a golf swing up against the wall? It's really <laughs> good for you. And I had a chair, and I had this big giant brick cell phone, so I could call the station and do my sports. So I literally did that for the first week, and then they lost to the Bears in overtime, and I'm like, oh man. <sighs> I got to stay up here another week because I said I'll stay up here until they win. Until they win, and it ended up being thirty-three days. Thirty-three days. But it got, I mean, Bob Costas interviewed me, and he called me a sniveling wimp because I was complaining about my living conditions. <laughs> but <laughs> by it the generated... way, I have a thing against Bob Costas. Oh, so yeah, uh, he he didn't he didn't, yeah he he and I first uh, met my first year, and it was. Uh, he didn't have anything good to say about me. Oh, either, so. well, that's too bad because you're yeah. you're like the best in the business of yeah. any mascot ever. Well, mascot I, Hall of Fame. Maybe that was it that uh, <laughs> pushed my buttons enough to prove him wrong. So, yeah, that, I mean, that turned into like huge for my career and, um, you know, basically, you know, catapulted, gave me a name and uh, being on Costa's show on television every week. And then he would come on the radio show every week and make fun of me. So that was that was that was great. I didn't know it went that. Oh, I didn't, yeah, yeah. What? He, so, yeah. The, what happened was this is. I'll just tell you the brief story. You can. There's a video that Rick Rick Riley did a, a story on ESPN um, for the 30th anniversary of the billboard. Was it 25 or 30? No, no, no it was 25th anniversary. 25th. So it's it been you know whatever five years ago or seven years ago. Um, anyway, he, uh, came out and did a story that they ran before the Monday night football game when they played the Bengals. He's like, I'm going to do a feature on you. Um, and he kind of rolled in all the tape and stuff like that, that they had archived and, and stuff like that. But, um, so after they lost to the bears, the next game was Thanksgiving day in Detroit and I'm from Detroit. And I'm thinking, oh, the Broncos are going to kill the Lions. They suck this year. And they go in and Thursday and just lay an egg. They lost like, I don't know, 40 to 30 or 40 to 20. So now I'm living, I'm on there on a Thursday. The next game is not a, this Sunday. It's the five, it's like 10 days away. Oh my gosh. So brutal. I call my body, I go, man, I'm freezing every night. I'm sleeping in a sleeping bag and I, you know, my head's freezing. I got no food. You know, you guys got to bring me some food and water and stuff. Come on, start taking care of a guy. And uh, and then uh, so they said, hey, we'll get you a tarp and we'll get you a, a space heater and all this stuff. But anyway, that night or that afternoon, Bob Costas' assistant called and said, hey, uh, Bob Costas wants to interview. And I thought it was one of my buddies pranking me. I'll go, hey, that's funny. Hey, great. F- you know, F you. Click. <laughs> and then the guy called again and goes, hey, don't hang up. No, we're sending a camera crew out there because Costas wants to have you on the postgame show. So just be there. I'm like, well, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and I'm right here, bro. <laughs> See me up on the board? <laughs> so the guy comes out. He sets up his camera, and he cr- climbs up the ladder, gives me a mic. I put the lavalier mic on, and I'm standing up there, you know, miserable because I know i got to spend another 10 days up there. And Costas just rips on me for 10 minutes you know what kind of provisions you have up there rich you know i got some beer and some pop and uh you know i got my cell phone and 
And uh, man, I'll tell you, I'm tired. I would just want to go home. Oh, you sniveling wimp. As soon as he said that, he called me a sniveling wimp. Boom. It just like exploded. And this is before the internet. Got to remember, if this, oh, if, yeah, if there yeah, was yeah. internet at the time, it would have been huge. Yeah. But anyway, so then he started coming on our show every week on the Fox. And then he had me on every time they lost. Let's check in with Rich going to Denver. He's got to be upset. I'm like, I'm not upset. I'm in a coma, bro. I haven't <laughs> slept in three weeks. I'm freezing. I'm starving. I got pneumonia. Man, that was the biggest diarrhea. thing, though. <laughs> that was the biggest thing, though, for this town. Yeah, it was, it was pretty Man, they just, I mean, I remember just the whole, the whole town was buzzed because yeah. of this. But and, you know what's oh, fun? But driving by. I'll, I'll tell you this, and Dave will appreciate this. I still get people, I get more people that walk up to me and ask me about the UFC than the billboard thing in Denver. That's awesome. And I'm telling you, it's crazy. People are like, oh, I was watching uh, UFC 1 and 2 on the video with my kid the other night. That was you doing the ring in us. I'm like, yeah. They're like, man, that's amazing. How, Could like, you, let me, let me jump in. I got to ask this question. Could you ever have envisioned back then the UFC would be where it is today? No. I mean, no. So you didn't have any inkling when you when you were there. Let's say nope. UFC one and two, three and four. All right. Let's just say one through four. Yeah. At any point in time, did you go, this is going to be the biggest thing ever. No. Did you never. And I'll tell you why. Because the first, they didn't implement like weight classes and right. disciplines right. and time limits and padded gloves or anything so i thought they're not going to be able to take this anywhere where they can get it sanctioned that's why they went yeah. to yeah. puerto rico and they went yeah. to savannah georgia that didn't have boxing commission they went to uh they got further down they went to detroit but they had to go in front of the boxing commission and get it, it that, i think that was the first city that actually sanctioned it yeah once they saw about it. that they, they uh michigan sanctioned it but they couldn't use closed fists they had to use right. open hands right yes but none of the guy but none, none of the, of the guys... guys did it was to be like a <laughs> no. slap boxing contest you know yeah. like it'd be like kenny yeah. slapping me around i'd lose right. guy's got the quickest hands in mascot history well you see him at the games you know pause oh, yeah. they're, they're pause. Oh, yeah. half quarters yeah. over the head the guy's got great hands um <laughs> but anyway the uh i just to get back to did i ever think it would be that big no way, because I saw, you know, what happened was, if you remember some of the Gracie fights, people were actually bored out of their mind because it took yeah. him 10, 12, 15 minutes sometimes, it, it yeah, felt it like, a bit. to finally yeah. get a guy into submission. So mostly it was, looked like two guys laying on the ground, you know, drunk, fighting over an empty beer or a full <laughs> beer, uh, you know, and then... There wasn't any excitement. So it was. Yeah. they finally figured out, uh, you know, Gracie's dad and, and Art Davey, I'm sure, and, and Bob, that, hey, we better do something here. Because, A, Gracie's going to win them all because he's a submission guy. And they already proved that that's the ultimate uh, discipline. But the other thing is you better start getting some, you know, some excitement in this thing. Like real action, so that's when they went to five-minute rounds, um, you know, 
gloves, um, and and they also break them up too if they're just. And, and, but they also you know, pitted, they gotta, yeah, they also pitted guys that were the same discipline against each other to start with, and then it kind of went like you know this, 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 and then finally in the finals we'll get a kickboxer against a jujitsu guy or a Muay Thai guy and some sort of other discipline that would be exciting. Right. They had to go to the time limits. I thought that when I was sitting the first time I sat down and saw Gracie, I'm like, man, does this guy take this much time to get rid of guys all the time? Because it's literally five minutes of rolling around or seven minutes, and then finally the guy taps out because he just can't breathe anymore. <laughs> That's not Crazy. exciting yeah. for the general public. Right, right. But no, I mean, if I had known, I would have invested in the company. Holy crap. Because they yeah. sold that. Oh, yeah. I mean, what did Davey and, uh, and Gracie sell? They sold that for how much? Well, at the time. Uh, was it 20 was million? Bought, something like that, yeah. Bought, bought, uh, SEG and Bob Meyerowitz bought it from Art Davey. Right. And WOW Promotions. Right. And WOW Promotions. And uh, that was probably, what, 96, I think, is when that happened. 95, 96. Late 95, early 96, I believe. And uh, but then, uh, if you remember, uh, it became outlawed in many states. Right. Where and then pay-per-view stopped showing it. You could only see it on satellite. You had to have a satellite right. to see it. I remember it. that. And uh, so the UFC almost died. It almost died off right around UFC 22, 23, 24. It almost died. It was almost gone. And that's when uh, Dana White and the Fertitas came in and yeah. bought uh, a debt-written red and show, you know, an event. So, yeah, yeah, now it's, you know, worth $6 billion or whatever it's worth. Now, see, honestly – Unbelievable. Because I was always looking to throw some money somewhere. It's not like I had a ton of money, but I'd be like, oh, I'd throw some money at this if I, you know, thought it was pretty cool. Gee, what are you doing now, man? You got, uh, you got, you're all in there. So I, yeah, I was working at uh, the mountain. Yeah. Um, not there anymore, but I'm, I have a golf business. So uh, I'm the membership director at a club like five minutes from here. So I sell golf memberships and uh, I, I tell people I'm a professional golfer. Because I sell golf memberships. I play golf every day, but I don't compete. Because <laughs> if I did, I'd get beat by 20 shots around with those guys. But so, no, I have a good life. I uh, travel a little bit, you know. Man, Got a girlfriend that's still with me after eight years. Still so people show. think she's blind, as you can see. <laughs> or or uh, she had cataract surgery when she met me. I said, no, nah, no, nah, she just liked my voice. That's it. She doesn't like me for Silky, any other reason other than free of... concert tickets in my voice. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm doing, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you guys got it going on here. I like the uh, I like the gym. This is really cool, Dave. It's yeah, and, uh, beautiful. Kenny, Kenny, you guys. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, could, I, I mean, I kind of takes me back. Like, I, seriously, I haven't been in a, a gym for, well, I mean, a, not a, uh, yeah, not a, a, martial, not a martial arts, arts, arts gym, gym a... since uh, – Man, it had to be like uh, late '80s. I'm gonna have to just well, come dude, in, Kenny. You look fit. Well, you look thanks. Like, I mean, I'm an old on, guy. Shoot, but hey, doing something right. You know, HGH. No, no, I don't do that. Don't, do <laughs> don't recommend HGH. Twelve uh, <laughs> ounce curl guy, buddy. Yeah. You know, so I, yeah. I still like watching the Nuggets and the Avalanche and the Broncos and you know, and sometimes the Rockies. Although they're doing really well this year. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still into yeah. sports. You know, I've always been into sports. My brother has a couple of sons that play college football. So I go back to Michigan and 
and uh, watch them. Junior, you know, it's like Division Three Albion College, so I got two uh, nephews up there. You what? know, I have a son out there. In, Where? In Detroit. Oh, wow. He is Hooper for the Pistons. Oh, he is? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Dude, nope, you're just nope. – you're, you're like Bill Walsh in coaching. You just spawn <laughs> – spawned all these you know mascots everywhere in the planet yeah wow well, that is great they're all yeah. making a living yeah well they're that's they're, cool they're buddy. next level don't good well, you know taking what i've uh, taught them and taught them, well. them to the next level well but well, you know what you guys do with your martial arts studios is i got a lot of uh admiration for you and for you dave and anybody that does that because i think you give people an outlet to channel their aggressions and and you know have a a discipline uh to to you know solve things and have a peace of mind that that's what i really i mean for me that's what i really got when i was when i was doing the muay thai was i, I like when i would left there i felt like okay i don't have to fight the world you yeah. know yeah i just had a kind of a peaceful thing about me that was like okay i can handle anything that comes my way if i can handle Oh, here I'll tell you a quick story. This is this is funny. Uh, the guy that owned the the martial arts studio that I went to, there was about ten of us every uh, Tuesday and Thursday. So after about four weeks or five weeks, the guy goes, "Okay, you guys are getting pretty proficient. I'm gonna put you in there with my son, who's a black belt." I go, I'm not getting in any ring with any black belts. I mean, if that's part of the graduation process, I'm out. I'm yeah. going to another martial arts studio. Oh, don't, no, don't worry. We just want to kind of test your skill level right now. You've done, you know, some some decent work. And we want to, instead of just kicking on a bag, punching on a bag, we want to get you in there with some live action. I'm like, well, put me up against that guy. The, the, the guy in my class, I know I can kick his ass. I've seen his punching power. He's got nothing. So, no, no, no. You got to go in there with the, you know, don't don't worry. My son will take it easy on you. So, we get in and, you know, ding, ding. We start moving around the ring and I'm, you know, kind of doing this. He's like, keep your, keep your right hand up. Keep your right hand up. Okay. And, and all of a sudden, I just snapped off a punch and hit him right in the face. I mean, he wasn't expecting it. He didn't go down. He just... You know, it shocked him. And I went, uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm like, right. how quick can I get out of this ring? And I went to the left, and then I started moving around to the right, and I tried to get in the corner, and he kicked me so hard right here, like in the <laughs> kidney. I just went down like a sack of potato. That's all I remember is the worst pain I've ever felt in my body. And I, I called it the seal hit because I sound like a seal. I was like, <laughs> I I had to crawl out of the ring. I couldn't even go through the ropes. I had I crawled out. They gathered me down. I I crawled to the locker room, and I got I turned the shower on. I was able to stand up, and I turned the shower on, and I turned up the hot water, and I just sat in there for like ten minutes. And the owner comes in, hey, how you doing? I'm like, dude, I need a new kidney. You see what your kid did? Well, you shouldn't have punched him. I'm like. Wasn't that what we're in there for? <laughs> you should have punched. You told me. You're like, no, no, you should have punched him like that. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, feather him a little bit, touch his nose. You know, you told me to go in there, and I said, I'm done. That's the end of my Muay Thai career. Thank you. I'm undefeated. Well, actually, I'm 0 and 1. 
that's good enough. Yeah, stay right there. But I do love oh. the disciplines, man. I think you guys uh, do a great job. Well, Having, appreciate you know, that. Giving people the one opportunity. Of the, one of the reasons why I got into this, into a studio gym like this and, and, and owning this is because it, I see it change people's lives. And that's, oh, yeah. I mean, it really is for so many different uh, reasons and for so many different uh, goals. People come in here and uh, yeah, it, it, it ends up, you know, they end up a different person when they walk out or in six months or, you know, they're either smaller, they've lost some weight yeah. or they're, they're walking out with their head straight or, yeah. uh, you know, all of the above. So it's, it's really been a, a blessing for us. Oh, by the way, Dave, here, look, I brought these. All right, I'm going to FaceTime, FaceTime him? you here. All right. Okay. Dave, oh. check this out. I just wanted you to see these. That's UFC one. That is unbelievable. And hold on. There's on a screenshot. That's into my buddy. There's two. Wow. That's so awesome. I oh, thanks. It. And then I got I got uh there's three. That's awesome. So That's Dave, awesome. here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna uh I got two UFC ones. I'm gonna have Kenny send you the one of them. Oh man, you don't have to do that. No, you I'm gonna I'm going to give you the one that has my sticker on the back that they made that was at the patch on my coat when I was in the Rich, ring. Rich, this is unbelievable, man. That is Well, I could send you the one that says Rich Goins on it, but then nobody will be everybody will be like, but this <laughs> I I taped the uh my my jacket pass on there. Wow. Cuz they I, I had that they didn't want me to wear the lanyard, so they stuck me with like you can't. Yeah. I guarantee you, there's. That's the only one of those in the world. That I'm, sticky yeah. pass. Dude, that is unbelievable. There might man. be a few of these UFC ones around that somebody might have saved, because yeah. I got two of them. But I'm gonna keep the one with my name on it. But I'm gonna give this one to Kenny and uh, have him send you that one with the sticky on the back. How's that sound? Rich man, dude, that's un unbelievable, man. Well, unbelievable. when you come to like, when you come to Denver, we'll all go out to dinner. We'll put it on your tab. How's that sound? Hey, sounds great. Hey, well worth it. Done. Done. Listen, we're not going to Done. Chuck E. Cheese either. <laughs> it's going to be a nice steak dinner somewhere, but that'll be fun to hang out with you. That is so badass. Let me tell you, man, how cool that is. I mean, like I talked about earlier, a lot of people don't understand, but, uh, man, there'll never be times like that ever again. Ever again, where a sport is emerging brand new. Yeah. Just blowing up out of nowhere so man that's extra special really special oh you're welcome you're a good guy i can tell you're a big fan so uh my pleasure buddy dave looks like a badass by the way with his he hat is. turned backwards oh yeah no he is i wouldn't f with that guy no look at no, him i would either i don't he, yeah there you he, go he trained he trained with some of the best wow that's cool man oh yeah i'm glad you I'm glad you guys are into it keeping it uh keeping the mixed martial arts alive that's great Congratulations. Rich, I'll tell you something real quick, too, and you'll appreciate this, because you, uh, you first laid eyes on this guy when he first came out. Uh, Dan Severn fought in UFC 4. Right? Oh, Severn, yeah. So, Severn was actually my first professional fight in 99. So, oh, my very man. first professional fight, I used to fight professionally. My very first professional fight was against Severn in 99. Wow. Yep. How'd yep. you do? How'd so you I, do? Got to, I got to fight one of my heroes, man, for my first professional fight. You know? Wow. How'd you do? 
I lost. <laughs> we, I did well, though. We went for uh, about 11 minutes. Uh, went a long time. We had wow. a long fight. Um, I was hoping to fight my childhood idol, Marilyn Monroe, but she wouldn't oh, come yeah, out of retirement. That. Yeah. <laughs> I would have won that. I would have pinned her. I would have pinned her a couple of times. <laughs> my childhood hero was uh, San Diego Chicken, so uh, that would have been a good one. I love the San Diego Chicken. <laughs> I'm trying to find him. Classic. I'm trying to find him. I want him on this podcast. Oh on my, my other podcast, Between oh the Fur. Oh my God, that would be my other awesome. my other podcast is called Between the Fur. <laughs> so, <laughs> you'll have to yeah, check that one out too. To, yeah, I might have to come back for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Bring a few ex girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> it's the fur's flying. <laughs>